This episode is brought to you by Gin & Co, author website design specialists. If you want a beautiful and functional website to promote your books and brand, reach out to Gin today. His work includes tailored, expertly designed, professional author websites. I finally have a website I'm proud to share. And we've got a special offer for Words and Nerds listeners. Reach out today and get a free domain name and website hosting for the first year. You can get their website essentials package, includes domain name, website hosting, backup and security, free for the first year with any website purchase. This is valued at $330 a year. Choose a website designed to bring your author brand to life. You can find more details about this special offer at ginand.co forward slash words and nerds. And you can check out my gorgeous new website, dannyv.com. Welcome to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm Danny V, podcast host and children's author. I also do some work in publishing in acquisitions and publicity. As we hurdle towards 1 million plays, we'll continue to provide you with the conversational, vulnerable, honest and fun chats with your favourite authors across all genres. Check out our takeover episodes, usually released on a Friday, and our spin-offs released during the month. Thank you for being here, being part of the journey and supporting Aussie creatives. Hello and welcome everyone to um, the Words and Nerds podcast takeover. I am Bronnie Palando and I'm here with Mercedes Mercia um, and we're here to chat all things book two and writing with you. Um, but first of all, a big shout out to Danny. Thank you for letting us um, get into everyone's um, ears for this episode. And um, I feel like this has been a long time coming for Mercedes and I. We've been talking about this chit chat for a while and um, we've had a few like false starts and um, delays, but we're here, Mercedes. We've made it. We're here and we're very excited. And I'd like to echo your words and say thank you so much, Danny, for having us. Yeah, it's... um. It's it's nice to be able to come on here and um, chat about all our, our all things book too because I know for both of us it's been a couple of months now but we've both recently had um, our second books sort of set out into the wild. Um, you had Black Lives came out in was it June. Yes, beginning of June. Yeah. So how's that been going? How are you feeling with it all? Yeah, it's been really good. It's it's different the second time round. I think it's. You sort of know a little bit more what to expect, which is good for someone like me who freaks out when I go into something new and I don't quite know what's coming. Um, I felt a lot more comfortable this time and I felt a lot more, I don't know, I guess maybe secure in the fact that I'm an author and this is what I do now. How about you? How did you find it? Yeah, I actually agree. I think one of the biggest things for me, one of the biggest differences between the release of the first book and the second one was that I was managing my expectations a little bit better this second time around. I think first time around, it's so unknown and it's so exciting for you to get your your book published. And I think uh, for me, I set the bar very high and the expectations were just through the roof. And a lot of family and friends um, sort of mirror those expectations. And so you have a lot of people asking you about like, movie deals and have you met with producers and has someone sent your your manuscript over to to Reese Witherspoon yet and 
You're, everyone's asking you about your sales. Like that's not a taboo topic off, or, you know, off the cards. Everyone wants to know how many books you've sold. That is the um, number one question I get is how many books have you sold? And I always sort of turn it around a little bit and I sort of say, that's kind of like asking me how, like, you know, what my salary is per year. I wouldn't yeah. come up to you and ask, oh, how much do you make in a year? But for some reason people feel strangely entitled to ask how many books you've mm-hmm. sold it's it's strange isn't it and it's one of the first questions they ask and you don't even have to know the person very well it can just be like some random person who finds out you're an author and they're like oh so how are your sales and you're like oh god yeah I know it's 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 strange it's yeah it's a it's a strange business we're in <laughs> yeah yeah it's quite it can, that was quite confronting I found so um yeah I think this time around I am managing expectations a little bit better I'm not expecting the you know the produ- producers to become like knocking on my door straight away um yeah it just it feels a little bit more I think realistic for me which is it's nice actually in a way I guess yeah it is I think once you settle into the you know, the routine of writing, editing, releasing, promoting, that sort of cycle, I guess, it it makes it a bit easier to 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 manage your life and like you said, manage your expectations because when you go into it, you you know, this is something we've dreamed of for, you know, a lot of us that, you know, our whole lives. So you're just overwhelmed by this excitement and you know, like you said, the Netflix deals, you know, <laughs> all this, all this incredible stuff that you think's automatic, well, maybe not automatically, but is a possibility at least. And then you saw No, I thought it was automatic. I, <laughs> I, I thought it was in the bag. Oh, you've got a book deal. <laughs> and, and then, then yeah. like, you know, the silver screen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so, um, Mercedes, you burst onto the um, Aussie crime scene last year with your first book, White Noise, and it was a, a smash hit. And it, um, you, you, I don't know, you sort of, it was a bit of a game changer for me when I when I've read your books. I feel like you're a, a sort of like a cut above where you should be for someone who's quite a new author you feel like you're in the hands of like a seasoned pro when when you're reading your work which is fantastic it's quite intimidating actually um as, <laughs> That's as an lovely author, I don't feel like that in my career I'm I'm always been like damn it she's really good <laughs> um but your um second book I was really fortunate to get an early copy and had a, a good sort of dive into it before it was released are you able to give um everyone a, a little bit of an elevator pitch for um Black Lies for us sure so Black Lies again follows Dr Laura Fleming who was my protagonist in White Noise but White Noise and Black Lies are both standalone thrillers. You don't have to have read one to read, you know, and understand and enjoy the other. So it picks up about 18 months after the events of White Noise and at the prison, Westmead Prison, that Laura works at, there's this really notorious offender and he has he's been in on a historical murder charge that occurred 15 years ago and since then he's refused to disclose to authorities where he hid the body of his victim and then he gets diagnosed with stage 4 cancer only has a few weeks left to live and so they bring in my character Laura to to sort of form a relationship with this guy, sort of get to know him a little bit, form a bit of a, you know, a bit of trust in the hopes that he will 
disclose to her where he, you know, left the body of his victim and give the, you know, the victim's family a little bit of closure finally after 15 years. But as Laura sits in sessions with with this guy, she starts to realise that something doesn't feel quite right. And so she starts to, she follows her, you know, follows her intuition. She starts to go down all these, these rabbit holes and, but as she does so, she starts to realise that she's in danger herself now because there's people who want to keep the secrets of the past hidden. Oh, I love it. And it was such a good read. I have to say Laura is probably one of my favourite protagonists. She's very, um, she's very realistic. She she could be like your best mate sort of thing. Um, she's got all, all, all sorts of issues like we all do. Um <laughs> But she's just she's believable. There's some you know, there's sometimes characters you read and you're like, Yeah, no, that's not right. Um yeah. that's not Laura at all. So she sort of, you know, you see her obviously we see a lot of her in her sort of professional capacity, but she does have like a chummy buddy there as well. So you get to see that sort of fun side of her. But then she's got these sort of family side as well with her daughter. So it's really nice to you, you sort of see different facets of her life, which really I think just lifts her from the page and makes her quite a three dimensional character. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. It's yeah, because going in when I was writing Laura, she's you know she's a criminal psychologist who's very very values driven. She loves her job. You know she wants to go into the prison every day and you know yeah. make it feel like she's making a difference in you know a really yeah. tough environment. So I was very careful that I didn't want to make her this you know this Pollyanna sort of character this this sort of you know perfect do-gooder who you know sort of has no flaws because you know obviously we've all we've all got flaws and so I really stop it Mercedes I'm perfect (laughs) Uh, of course you are um but yeah I (laughs) I I just wanted to I was really conscious that I wanted to make her a well-rounded character that you know had all these various aspects to her to her personality and her life, you know, like like all of us, we've all got various aspects, you know, personal life, family life, career, etc. So yeah, I just really wanted to make sure that I reflected that, and I'm I'm glad that you thought I did. So you did, yeah, you did a brilliant job. And I um, can you tell us just I already know this, but I think it's quite fascinating your background, and which I imagine is probably what inspired a lot of the story and a lot of um. Laura, so can you just give us a bit of a, a little a little idea as to where you've come from? Yeah, of course. So I have worked in the criminal justice system for the last decade. Gosh, <laughs> that's a- wouldn't it be funny if you piped up and said I was actually incarcerated for the last fifteen years? <laughs> so I've learned a lot. <laughs> I do like I do like to I say. <laughs> so, sometimes I will say I've been in and out of prisons for the last ten years. <laughs> Then, but then you, you know, I, with that. <laughs> I don't want to make light of you know people's experiences who have no. you know who have oh. been um, in and out of prison, of course. Um, but yeah, so I think <laughs> obviously I have gathered a lot of stories and background across that that decade. I've got tons of things in my you know in the back of my brain, but I think the idea for Laura originally came from. Uh, a, a work colleague and she's a she's a psychologist she works with with the department with with prisoners and offenders and we were just having lunch one day because I've I've known her for for many many years 
And I asked her what she had on for the rest of her day. And she said she was finishing up a risk assessment, um, which was her giving her professional opinion on whether she thought a prisoner should be released early onto parole. And I was just thinking at the time, like, that's just, it's just such a huge, like, incredibly huge responsibility to sit on one person's shoulders and an incredible, like, important responsibility as well. Obviously that, you know, that her risk assessment makes up, you know, it goes to the parole board and then they factor that into their decision. You know, there's a range of other factors that they take into account as well. It's not just purely based on her risk assessment, but that forms, you know, a, a large part of it. And I think this idea just sort of, you know, came to the back of my mind that I would really love to pitch like a really clever psychologist against this really charming, really handsome, really manipulative, narcissistic sort of inmate who, you know, has everyone in the prison wrapped around his finger thinking that he's this, you know, that he's this reformed model prisoner. He's ready to get back out into the world and, you know, break the cycle of crime and do good. And I really wanted to to pitch these really two smart people against each other in this sort of battle of the wills, I guess, and just sort of watch how that how that fell out. And that was that was the idea for for White Noise, my my first book. And that's that's how that came about. And then I guess the germ of the idea for Black Lies came again through work and there was this team that I was working with who were working on getting the no body, no parole legislation through parliament. And that legislation is pretty much exactly, you know, as it sounds, if an offender doesn't disclose the, you know, the whereabouts of the body of their victim, then they're not eligible for release to parole. And in the prison system, you know, early release onto parole is kind of a bit like, um, like a, a carrot, you know, a dangling carrot. You know, you you can, you know, they'll do their, you know, do their courses, do their learnings, do their education. You know, they'll behave, they'll stay in line because when it comes time to be assessed by the parole board for early release, then all those things are, are taken into account. And I just thought, wouldn't it be so interesting to look into, you know, the the mind of an offender who's in prison for life with no you know, no release time, no eligibility for for early release. They're in there till they die and just how that changes their behaviour and that sort of, you know, how dangerous they can become because they've got nothing to lose. Like there's literally nothing that can happen to them that is really, you know, all that bad. They their Their carrot of early release or release at some point is, you know, is just completely taken away so they don't have to. They don't have to conform to all these rules. And, yeah, so I just thought that would be a really fun character to to explore and, um, you know, pit that sort of anti-authoritarian, you know, really dangerous sort of simmering, you know, angry prisoner against against Laura in the second one, which which I had a blast doing. I love it. Yeah, the the sort of the villain characters are often the funnest to write, I find. And um you did it beautifully. And I think you're right. Like when, when you don't have anything to lose or when your character doesn't have anything to lose, there's they you know, they can become much more dangerous and and therefore a lot more enjoyable to write. 
I think you did. You, you know, you can tell the prison system just drips from your pages, and so you obviously know it inside out. And it's so it feels like a really authentic read, which is um, fabulous. Thank you. Now, Veronica, Banjo Prize winner, twenty twenty one. Was that was that the the first year that that you won the the Banjo Prize? Yes. Yep. Yeah. 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 I thought I was like, you're doing well to remember the year. Sometimes I have to stop and think about it. And it wasn't even that long ago. I know. I had a moment where I thought, was it 2020 or 2021? Anyway. Was it like written on your hand there? No, it wasn't. That was that was off the top of my head, believe well, it or not. Well. Good work. <laughs> and you came out with the whispering, which was uh, incredible. I remember reading that. Oh, thank you. First of all, the cover. That cover was it beautiful. Oh, tantalizing. I just looked at that yeah. on the shelves and just thought, yep, yeah, I need to I need to dive straight into this book. And I think I, I wish I could take credit for it, but no, alas. <laughs> yeah. You can't take credit for them whether good or bad, can you? <laughs> I know. <laughs> um I think the thing that hit me first when I read The Whispering was just this beautiful way that you have with words. I think there is no one else out there at the moment that is writing descriptions quite the way you are. Honestly, I was reading, oh, my gosh, I was reading The Drowning Girls and it was cold and it was the middle of winter and I was someone, I think my partner interrupted me and I looked up from the book and I felt like I had been torn (laughs) Torn from Queensland, like the tropics. Like I just, it was just incredible. The way that you write is so immersive. And when you turn those pages, it doesn't even feel like you're turning pages. Like it doesn't even feel like you're reading a book. Like you are just, you know, when you've got that little image of someone just like reading and then like diving into the pages and being yeah. in this world. That is what reading a Veronica Lando book is like to me. So, oh, thank you. <laughs> That's so delightful to hear. <laughs> the um, well, interestingly, the um, not interestingly, but the the landscape is and the setting is something that comes to me quite um early on. I'm a very visual person, and so I need to, I sort of like visualize and think about and mentally have the backdrop for my books and the setting for my book before I can sort of start integrating the characters into it and developing the plot. And then the these first two books, the landscape and the setting really drives a lot of the plot. And so, yeah, I'm glad that I sort of pulled off describing the, the setting um, well because it, it's, it's something that comes to me really early on. It's very vivid in my mind. And these are, for both books, they're places that I have visited and I know the areas and um, I'm, I'm very tell. pleased I've managed to get that onto the page. You absolutely have. You can tell that you've either lived there or spent a lot of time there. Yep. Every detail is just perfectly put on that page. Incredible. So can you give us a little bit of an elevator pitch of The Drowning Girls? Yeah, absolutely. So The Drowning Girls is um, a standalone story um, and it follows our main character, Nate, who is this um school teacher that's on probation and he's shunted up to sort of backwater town of Port Flinders which is up in sort of the Gulf of Carpentaria area so it's up in that sort of north um far north Queensland region and he's gone up there sort of um begrudgingly just for the term to fill in the position the post of um the primary school teacher at the little school up there um so we've got about 17 kids 
And Nate arrives right on the cusp of the town's annual Drowning Girl Festival, which is this festival that uh, Port Flinders run each year where uh, they have this uh, sort of legend that they're paying homage to where if they sacrifice a woman to the sea, then the fishing hall for the year will be prosperous and um, the fishing industry will thrive. Where, and if they don't, if they fail to sacrifice a woman, then the seabeds will dry up and the fishing industry will collapse and the entire town will go under. Uh, so but everyone knows that it's it's a legend. It's just sort of a bit of a, a bit of folklore, a bit of a gimmick. And really the people of Port Flinders are just milking the legend to lure the tourists in. So they run this festival each year to get people to come from far and wide. And it's really the revenue from the festival that keeps the town afloat each year. Um, but of course, this year, the body of a woman actually does show up drowned and uh, she washes up onto the shores of the Gulf uh, early on. And Nate finds himself wondering if someone actually did uh, sacrifice her. She's sort of, her death is sort of passed off as an accident and um, he, but, but Nate doesn't quite, he feels uh, he's got a bit of a connection to her and so he feels compelled to to look into her death and he finds that um, as he goes sort of digging for answers, he starts to uncover a bit of an unsettling truth that there's been a number of uh, women that have drowned over the years always during the time of the festival and so he just starts wondering if there are maybe some people in Port Flinders who really do think that a sacrifice is necessary and if these women are actually being uh, intentionally drowned uh, as as a as a sacrifice it's yeah. such an incredibly interesting interesting concept where did the idea mm-hmm. come to you from ah yeah, I think it sort of came from quite a few areas. So my first book, The Whispering, had a little bit of this like local legend, folklorish feel to it. And I wanted to do that again for my second book. Um, and so I, when I was co- trying to come up with the idea for book two, I did a lot of Googling, as we do, um, about Australian folklore and Australian legends. And then I started also looking a little further afield as well. And I came across the uh, legend of the Bunyip. And then also the legend of the banshee, and so both of those sort of started. I, th- I think I must have had that sort of like just churning away in the back of my head. And then I was trying to come up with a bit of a setting. And I live right near the water here in North Queensland, and I go walking uh, often along the the foreshore. And it's very sort of mangrovey and mudflats here. And I was walking. I remember having this clear moment of walking along, being like, "Oh, where can I set this story?" And I've got this little bit of a like, slight idea. And um, I sort of like looked to my left, and there was this like mangrovey, mudflatty beach. And I was like, "Oh, look, you know what? We can just do it here. Why not?" Perfect. So it's not set um, in my hometown, but it is set in that sort of setting. And a lot of the visuals and the setting for the book did um, spawn from where I live, which is in Townsville. And um, so I sort of thought, oh, I can have this like this this creature that lurks in the water, and she can lurk in the mangroves, and the mangroves are all twisty, and you know they're a perfect place to hide hide secrets. And um, then I we also have here a nice cute little jetty, and there's this statue of this woman that stands off to the side here in Townsville. Um, she's not on the jetty, but she's just off to the side in the water. And I was sitting there one time looking at the this statue and that's where this sort of visual for the story where you've got the statue at the end of end of the jetty um in Port Flinders came from so a lot I have to say a lot of the inspiration actually came from Townsville and where I live and just my local sort of scenery um I just found myself sort of looking around my eyes a little bit uh wider open and taking it in um and then from that this sort of the whole story sort of spawned wow 
So you said you start with setting and that's the first thing that comes to you and then you work out character and story. Is that is that how you, how, how do you, because I know you're quite a planner. I can see on your I wall next to you, you've got cards. <laughs> you've got cards which are beautifully laid out for your, <laughs> your next Unique, I'm assuming. So yeah. <laughs> you start with you start with setting, and then and then what happens? Well, I usually actually get a kernel of an idea first, and it's usually both times it's been a bit of a like a what if question, um, like what would happen if, or what what would it take for a person to do this, um, you know, to get a good person to do a seemingly not so good deed. And so I usually start with that very little tiny idea. It's like a one sentence idea that sort of comes to me. And then from there, I like to um, come up with like a bit of a backdrop for it. Um, And then once I've sort of got that, when it comes to trying to find the right person to tell the story, I try to look at it as who would actually be the worst person to to experience that story? So I like I, I mean we all like our characters. Yeah, I heard I, it's not my idea. I heard someone else talk about it, and I was like, oh, that's great! I'm stealing that that idea. So basically, you know, think of a situation that you you've come up with, and then who would struggle the most in that situation? And that's your main character because you don't want your main character to breathe through the story. Otherwise it would probably all wrap up on page 20 and we would have no story. And so you sort of think about who's going to really find the situation difficult because that's when you really, the fun and games really can begin, I think, with novel writing. Um, and so, yeah, my, my characters usually spawn from that. Everything about my characters from things like their their fears and anxieties to their even things like their physical aspects and the way they they look or any um, impairments that they might have. Um, it's, it's Everything's done to make their life a little bit harder. <laughs> That's what you've got to do, isn't it? They always, I saw a quote the other day and it said, if your character's having fun, then your reader isn't. You know, in the yeah, I love that genre. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I struggle. Yeah, yeah. they've got a struggle. You've got to put challenge after challenge in front yeah. of them. Otherwise, there's no conflict. There's there's nothing that's you know keeping the reader turning those pages. Yeah, no one wants to read about a person who's just enjoying a nice cup of coffee and exactly. looking at the sunset. <laughs> <laughs> so. What are you working on next, Veronica? Well, um, I have very excitingly just finished the first draft of my third book. <gasps> well done. I know. I know. It's such celebration. Oh, my gosh. The champagne was popped. Um, I feel like in this writing business, there's, like, excuses to drink all the time. Like, oh, yes, I've reached my first 10,000 words. Let's crack the <laughs> bubbles. And, you know, yeah, I've just, you know, handed in a manuscript. Like, it's just constant. Anyway. I'm a big, um, I'm so a big believer in... <laughs> celebrating every milestone there's <laughs> a lot of um, like weekday drinking here now <laughs> um yeah so I just finished it last week so I'm actually this week having a little bit of a break from it you know all the recommendations are to put your manuscript aside for a little bit and let your head sort of just wander and do its own thing before you pick it up and start trying to sort of self-edit it so I have just uh, finished that and I'm due to hand it into the publisher early November. So I've still got a couple of months up my sleeve. So I'm going to, um, in another week or so, pick it up and start, start uh, tinkering and editing. Um, but I'm really excited for this story. I think this story for me has, um, it's 
really sort of revitalised me a little bit. Um, so this last year for me was quite a tricky year. We had a three very young children, three children under five, and uh, including a newborn baby. And this year I don't have that. And so I, I'm well rested, Mercedes. I have had some sleep. Um, yes. which is glorious <laughs> and so writing has been really lovely it's been I haven't been falling asleep at the at the computer I've been sort of just uh just I've just really immersed myself in this story so this story is it is a, a slightly different vibe to my first two books there's none of that sort of folklore superstition in it this time around um and it's not set in um North Queensland which my first two books were so the setting is going to be a little bit different it's a little bit more of a sort of an urban style setting um and for the very first time I am writing a female protagonist which I have adored. It has just been glorious to get inside her head. I love this woman. Um, no end. She has all sorts of um, quirks to her. Uh, but it is still, it's a thriller and um, it's it's a little bit sort of character driven and based. And yeah, I'm so excited for it. I love, I love the premise of it. I can't uh, share that just now, but I, I really, really love the, the sort of like the kernel of the idea that I got. Um, yeah, I've always sort of clung to that. <laughs> I can't How about you? When's what that you? due to be released? Oh, good question. At this stage, we're looking probably at early 2025. So okay. it's still that's ages away, doesn't it? Guys, it does. Um, feel, it'll come yeah, around so really quickly. Though. Yeah, it will. It will. I'll, I'll blink and we'll be we'll be releasing it. So um, yeah, it's a little while away, but um, yeah, I, I just cannot cannot wait. Uh, how about you? What are you working on at the moment? Yes, that's a good question. I'm also writing my third. I am not quite up to the stage that you are. I haven't quite finished that 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 first draft yet. And because I'm a bit of, well, not a bit of, I'm a lot of a pantser or a discovery writer, as a friend called me. <laughs> it sounds a lot nicer than a pantser. Um, when I write my first draft, can be completely different to to the final product. So I'm always really sort of hesitant to say too much about, you know, what my book yeah. might be about at, at this stage because, you know, I could say one thing and then by the, you know, the 8th or ninth or 10th or 15th, you know, draft it could be looking completely different. But... I'm sort of similar in that I am, my third book is a little bit different. It doesn't follow Dr. Laura Fleming. It's not set in that uh, prison environment. It's still a crime thriller, um, but it is set in a, at this stage anyway, but I think, I think this will start. <laughs> I think this will stay. It's set in a remote, um, pretty glamorous location. Yep. Um, there's a, a number of murders. And at, at this point, I'm sort of really um, looking into exploring that um, sort of connection between uh, privilege and corruption, you know, how those sort of two things, you know, can can work together and how one can beget the other. And that's that's sort of what I'm exploring at the moment. But but like you, I'm having a lot of fun with this one. I'm really, really every day coming to the coming to the laptop and really having a blast. So I think that's a 
you know, that's always a good a good sign. If I'm having fun and I'm loving it, then then hopefully other people will too. Well, that's what they always say. If you enjoy it when you write it, people are going to enjoy it when you read it. And if you feel like you're pulling teeth when you're trying to get the words on the page, then it's not going to read well and uh, you're probably better off to take a break and uh, come okay. back later. Yeah. <laughs> well, this has been fabulous. I feel like you and I could chat for days about writing. There's about 100 other things I'm sure we could explore, but I think we are probably running out of time. Um, and everyone might be sick of hearing us gas bag about our second <laughs> books and our writing process. Um, so this has been delightful. Thank you so much, Mercedes, for chatting to me today. Um, Thank you so much. I've had and, the best oh, time. <laughs> and yeah, well, I like you said, too. I feel like you and I could just could talk for hours. Maybe we need yep. to start our own podcast. <laughs> I think so. No, shh, don't tell Danny. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, we can just we can just chat amongst ourselves. <laughs> All right. Well, um, best of luck continuing on with book three, and congratulations again on Black Lives. Thank you. You too for The Drowning Girls. And I'm really looking forward to reading book three. Yay, me too. (laughs) Bye for now. Bye. See ya.